Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Wednesday, August 4th. On today's show, nobody really knows anything in the world of sports, myself included. Before we get there, I want to give you one reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. Now, the greatest thing you can do in your entire life, more than feeding the hungry or curing disease, is to go and pick out a team from a small conference in college football and bet on them to win that conference because it will just amplify your interest in that. So today, we're going to choose Western Kentucky, 10 to 1, to win Conference USA. It's a bet I encourage all of you to jump aboard. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, they have the greatest mascot in all of sports named Big Red. It's this huge red blob. It's creepy as hell. You don't ever want to see it. You don't want to be around it. They have this weird sacrificial rite where Big Red runs onto the field and pretends to eat a cheerleader. Again, it is creepy and weird as hell. And it's also the number one reason why I'm going to be betting on Western Kentucky to win Conference USA. So please join me. We have our reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. It will exponentiate your interest in Conference USA football and in a big red blob who eats cheerleaders. And now a word from our favorite sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your and you always Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Nobody knows anything. This is a revelatory fact of life. And I think everybody kind of arrives at this understanding at various points within their career or just their general path through life. For me, it came when I started interviewing entrepreneurs and executives for my prior job. I would sit down with these people, you know, high-level executives and CEOs of these great businesses, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was in the same boat. I, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I'd try to fake my way through these interviews because that's the one skill that I brought to the table. I'd go, yeah, okay, tell me about how you built this business. And I'd listen to these journeys and, and stats about how we turned this business from this until this, and I got a really clear grasp throughout years and years and years of this particular process that, hmm, these people don't really know anything. Uh, some things work for them. Some things don't work. They're willing to try, which I think is the greatest strength that you can have just in life. It's not necessarily that you're a genius or a savant or, or even necessarily competent. It's just you're willing to keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And sooner or later, you throw enough darts at the dartboard, one hits the bullseye, right? So I'm talking with entrepreneurs and CEOs and executives at this time. And the light bulb's coming on for me because, A, I don't know what I'm doing in my job. And then over the course of years, I start to get a little bit better grasp. Again, not a great one, but I start to kind of find my own footing. And it was really enlightening for me to understand, oh, this is just kind of how the world works. You keep trying and you keep putting one foot in front of another. And hopefully at some point, you know, you find a little bit more success than you had before. At the same time, one of the things that was also most enlightening was I would sit down in an interview and I would listen to a CEO explain how they built their business from nothing into this great, great enterprise. And they would say, here are all the things that made this business what it is. Uh, and they'd lay it out and they would say, 
these are the things that you have to have in a successful business. And I'd go, okay, that's interesting. Great. I'm going to write about it. That, you know, again, enlightening to me. Then I would go to the next interview a week later and I talk to a different CEO of a different business and they would lay out their journey and it would be different, but they would also say, these are the things you have to have. And and this is the number one way you build a successful business. There's no way around it. And it would be something completely different from the prior entrepreneur. And over the course of time, talking to all these different people, the light bulb came on for something that I'm always talking about on the show, the many avenues to success. What works for one may not work for another, but you can kind of arrive in the same destination through a variety of ways. What works for one business might not work for another, and that's fine. Um, I think that's why within the business world, culture has become such a buzzword because it's your own vision for kind of this idea. What makes your company successful? Not somebody else's, but just this is my own interpretation of how we're going to get from point A to point B. We wrap this into the show, No Baller, and me talking about sports, and you get a greater understanding of why I'm so passionate about showing on this show um, that my way of thinking and understanding and analyzing sports, I never say this is the correct way. This is the only way. That's not really how I function. That's not how I believe. Um, it's merely one way of thinking about these subjects and these topics that are very complex and can be analyzed in, again, a variety of ways. Multiple avenues arriving at a similar destination. So over the last few months, within the world of sports, we've had a lot of things that kind of tie into this idea. This idea of nobody really knows what they're doing, and so the understanding is you try and you give yourself as many throws at the dartboard as possible because if you do that, sooner or later, one of those will stick. So you have drafts, NBA, NHL, um, NFL. Those have all happened within the last few months. You have free agency that most recently has happened with the NHL, uh, the NBA. They're tying up loose ends right now. You have training camps and football. You have all of these things going on that tie into, A, the world of sports, but B, this darts at the dartboard type atmosphere. Um, and in the moment, myself and, and all these teams, these management, these coaches, you think you know a lot in the moment. And in retrospect, you always kind of understand like, oh, I actually am a dumbass. I can't believe that I thought that in the moment. This is a process that I'm continually going through in life, but also within the world of sports, where I think I know something for a fact. And then you fast forward six months and I go, huh, that's really funny that I thought that. I, I mentioned the drafts, and this is a really interesting area to examine through this lens. Because teams don't really know what they're doing. Uh, People who cover drafts don't really know what they're doing. You get draft grades every single year as soon as the draft is done. The Green Bay Packers got a C and the Cleveland Browns got an A and this team got a... There's no way of being able to give a draft grade in the moment. You can only properly grade that five years down the road. And I get why that content is put out because people want to see that. They want to read that. At the same time... It provides us a really interesting opportunity to go back and examine past drafts and understand what was thought at the time and what everybody agreed upon and what I personally thought and and agreed upon and now what I realize might have been completely wrong or right in present day. So I mentioned the Green Bay Packers, which is my favorite team and one that I obviously follow very closely. And I look through their draft history in the recent past and it's enlightening in a way that me sitting down with these CEOs and these executives in my past life was as well. 
this idea that people are capable of making fantastic moves and atrocious moves, and you just give yourself as many throws at the dartboard as possible because that's the only proper way to ensure that at some point you're going to find some level of success. It's that I'm willing to try type attitude. So in 2017, Packers have a pick at the end of the first round. They trade down to the top of the second and draft Kevin King, cornerback out of Washington, which at the time I'm ecstatic about. I've watched Kevin King play on the University of Washington. I think he's a great player for whatever reason. Who even knows why I think that in the moment? Uh, It's probably just because he's on TV and the Washington defense was good. I'm not a scout. I don't analyze players in that way. I know the Packers have a hole at cornerback, and I say, this is going to be awesome. Kevin King, he's coming on. Oh, man, he's going to be perfect for this team. He's going to boost their defense. I'm filled with optimism. At the same time, you know, the Packers need an edge rusher. And there was one who was floating around at this time, TJ Watt, who the Steelers end up drafting, who was playing at the University of Wisconsin, just really close to where the Packers are stationed. And I didn't really care that they passed on him. I go, TJ Watt, yeah, whatever. He, he was fine at Wisconsin. I, I don't know. Maybe he's going to be good. Maybe he's not going to be. But at the time, I'm convinced Kevin King's going to be great for this franchise. And now in present day, I mean, he's been injured a lot. He's their second cornerback. He's never really been consistent nor good. He just turned in the worst game of his career at the worst possible time in the NFC title game against Tampa. Just continually roasted (laughs) every single quarter of that game. And one of the main reasons why Green Bay lost a a very close hard-fought game. And TJ Watt, unfortunately, has blossomed into one of the very best pass rushers in football. It's a whiff on an organizational level, and it's a whiff from me just as a fan watching it and thinking that this is going to be a good move. Um, We saw a similar thing happen in 2020 with the Packers organization when they draft Jordan Love, which sets off a whole firestorm of controversy because they already have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, and why are you trading up in the first round to draft his successor when it seems like He still has a lot of good years left, and indeed, he ends up winning the MVP the year after they draft Jordan Love. Uh, And it's a very strange move for an organization that should be in win-now mode and has Aaron Rodgers and has a decent roster around him and one that made it to the NFC title game last year. It seems like maybe you could have used a first-round pick to fill a position of need, maybe a second cornerback or maybe a defensive lineman or maybe some sort of linebacker or there are holes on this roster that... Green Bay could have filled with a first-round draft pick that they didn't necessarily want to because they drafted Jordan Love, who now is going to be sitting on the bench again this year while Aaron Rodgers is coming off an MVP season and looks like there's no end in sight to his really high-level play. They go in the second round of that year and they draft A.J. Dillon in 2020. Tailback, which is... I'm one of the people who's opposed to spending uh, reasonable resources on a running back. That's just how I think when it comes to roster building, but... Fine, if you want to take a stab there, if you want to throw that dart, go ahead. The problem is they draft A.J. Dillon in the second round, who last year, they have Aaron Jones starting. They have Jamal Williams as a backup. So they've also spent another valuable resource on a third-string tailback in a year that they are in or should be in win-now mode, that they make the NFC title game, that they're very, very, very close to breaking through and winning a Super Bowl. That's another asset that could have been used maybe in a better manner. That goes back into team building philosophy and whether or not you want to win now or plan for the future. What makes this move so strange is you think you're drafting A.J. Dillon to take over a starter because you're going to let Aaron Jones walk and you don't want to spend a lot of money signing a tailback on your roster. You don't want to dedicate a lot of your cap space to a position that it's probably the least valuable in all of football. And instead, the Packers re-sign Aaron Jones to a reasonable contract, which he's a great player. I love Aaron Jones. He's awesome. But now you're dedicating a lot more resources to a position that is 
not that significant on your roster. You're spending money, you're spending draft picks, and now you have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, and you're looking at the 2020 draft going, you spent a first and a second round pick, and it doesn't seem like you're going to get a lot of contributions out of either of those selections for at least two full years. That's kind of a whiff, in my opinion. Now, this same brain trust within the recent past, you look at 2019, one year prior, and they hit home runs. They draft Jair Alexander in the mid-first round, who has become a cornerstone, franchise-changing cornerback, one of the very best cornerbacks in football. Right now, he's on a rookie contract. That is one of the most valuable commodities that you could have on a roster. Packers correctly identified, that guy looks like he's going to be good. We need a cornerback. They drafted him, and Jair Alexander has blossomed within a few years into one of the best cornerbacks in football. That is a home run on an organizational level. In the same draft, in the second round, they pick Eldon Jenkins on their offensive line, who has been a total revelation. Uh, he's been one of the most versatile and useful players on the entire Packers roster. He's played center. He's played guard. He's played tackle. He's played all of those positions at an incredibly high level, which is very rare for an offensive lineman. Uh, and he looks like he's on a Pro Bowl and All-Pro trajectory, which if you're picking that in the second round, again, that is a total home run. So I bring all these things up because it illustrates this idea that I mentioned at the start of the show that this entire show is about, that it's not a diss to say nobody really knows what they're doing. It's actually beneficial to acknowledge that about yourself or about yourself as an organization and to understand, okay, sometimes we're going to hit, sometimes we're going to miss. That's how life works in general. Uh, nobody's ever the smartest person in the room. You know, the smartest organizations, they're still going to biff on themselves. So what the most important thing is at that point is to accumulate assets and to give yourselves as many stabs as you can possibly have. And knowing that if you do that, well, then you're going to hit on some of those and you're going to draft Jair Alexander. You're going to draft Eldon Jenkins. And that will help to cancel out some of these whiffs. Kevin King or what Jordan Love has been so far for the Green Bay Packers. You expand this out a little bit within the NFL world. And I look at the team who traded with Green Bay in the Jair Alexander draft in 2019, the New Orleans Saints. Two years prior in 2017, they have an all-time, all-time draft class. Uh, Marcus Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, Marcus Williams, Alvin Kamara, Trey Hendrickson, all of those people are picked within the 2017 draft for the New Orleans Saints. And all of these players, because they're all good, they all came in and at the very least were quality starters on the New Orleans Saints. They're all on rookie contracts, which is, again, the most valuable commodity you can have. Valuable players on rookie contracts who are not counting against your cap in an immense way. They form this integral core of a continual Super Bowl contender every single year. Because when you hit that many picks in one draft and they're all on rookie contracts and they're all valuable contributors to your team, you have a lot of cap space to work with. And you already have a lot of positions now filled by these five players. That is about as valuable of a draft as you will ever see in the NFL. It's truly an unreal draft, looking back on, uh, that you could get that many high-level starters in the same draft. So the New Orleans Saints at the time, and for the next few years, rightfully so, are celebrated for this. Because again, these are home runs. Marcus Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, Marcus Williams, Alvin Kamara, Trey Hendrickson, all in the same draft class. 
So they're riding that high going into the draft where Jair Alexander is picked by the Green Bay Packers. Now, how that came about is the New Orleans Saints are drafting at the tail end of the first round. And they hone in on a player that they want, Marcus Davenport, defensive end out of University of Texas, San Antonio. And they say, we need that guy, but he's not going to be available in the late 20s. So Green Bay, you're picking, I believe, 14th that year. We'll trade up 13 spots. We'll give you two first-round picks and a fifth-rounder to move up 13 spots to draft Marcus Davenport, which that's a pretty big haul, and you got to be pretty damn sure that that guy is going to be a star on your team because you just gave up a lot of assets. You just gave up a lot of possible darts that can hit the bullseye in order to pick somebody that you are firmly convinced is the bullseye themselves. And that's a huge whiff because Marcus Davenport has not been that. Often injured when he's played, he's been fine, but he's not moving the needle in any way, shape, or form, which when you're giving up that much draft capital, you have to be sure that that person is. And as I'm talking about now, as I've come to understand in my life, there's no possible way to be sure of any of these things. So you expand this out a little bit to free agency and trades and all of these other roster building mechanisms that go into trying to form a championship contender. And I want to read a paragraph from one of my favorite NFL writers, Bill Barnwell of ESPN, when it comes to these other ways that you can build a roster and just the other ways that a lot of times we like to celebrate organizations and say, this organization is the best and they make every move perfect. And this organization is the opposite of that. And they're just dumb as hell. And as it turns out, it's always kind of this middle gray area that I really like to poke and probe on this show. So Bill Barnwell from ESPN. Evaluating NFL trades in the moment is, to put it nicely, an inexact science. Teams have more information about their players than the public does. The more honest organizations around the NFL will tell you that even they don't know how a guy they're acquiring might fit in their scheme or with his new teammates. The smartest organizations in the league have made some extremely bad trades. Deals that look like steals at the time haven't been anywhere near as impressive with two or three years of perspective, end quote. So again, there are a trillion examples of all of this stuff throughout the course of NFL history. And the stuff that I'm concentrating on this show, I'm just using it to illustrate this point, but you could take it pretty much to any team. And if you wanted to deep dive, you can find a lot of interesting stuff when it comes to these ideas. Well, that's a great trade. And this is an atrocious trade from the same team within the exact same time frame. Uh, I think about Bill Belichick, who Bill Belichick, the coach, best coach in the history of football, in my opinion. Bill Belichick, the general manager, the evaluator of talent, decidedly not that. Uh, he has a litany of atrocious personnel moves over the years. Um, free agent signings, drafting, all that kind of stuff. Which, if you were just looking at Bill Belichick, the football mind, again, somebody who comprehends football in a way that there's no possible way that I could ever even understand a fraction of it. And that's actually true for a lot of other NFL coaches in comparison to him, which is frightening. But a lot of those atrocious personnel moves, they're covered up by Belichick, the coach. You know, it's drafting Sonny Michelle in round one in 2018 to come in and play tailback. Again, not a valuable position you're picking in round one. So that guy's got to be a star. And Sonny Michelle's just been blah. And the following year, drafting Nikhil Harry at wide receiver in round one in 2019. And he's been a, just a total zero on the roster. A whiff and a whiff. 
it, two very valuable draft slots. You, it's hard to whiff on first-rounders and, tr- and still maintain a, a really high-level team. A very interesting thought exercise is to envision Belichick, the GM, uh, turning over a roster to a coach that is not Bill Belichick, just a, an average mid-level coach. Say, here, uh, Doug Marone, here is a roster of Bill Belichick drafted and signed players. Uh, you look at that, and it would be a disaster. Just an interesting thought exercise, right? Uh, another team that has really just run the gamut of public perception over the last four years is the Cleveland Browns, who in 2017, they're 0-16. Just a train wreck of a season. Hugh Jackson, their coach, he's wandering around the sidelines like a total bozo. He looks like just a man who's lost at sea. He's out there floating on a raft and he doesn't know up from down and he has who, who knows what's going on. But that's your coach on the sidelines and the game's going. And he's just looking around going, oh, but wait, there's a game going on? It was one of the worst seasons I've ever watched from a professional sports organization. This is four years ago. At the time, their last playoff berth, it's 2002. Their last playoff win is 1994, coincidentally, when Bill Belichick is their coach. And on an organizational level, they look at their team and they say, this needs to be torn down to the studs. We need to completely rebuild this roster. And what is the easiest way of doing that? Remember, darts at the dartboard. So trade, accumulate assets, uh, just do anything in our power to get draft picks, get cheap players, try to hit home runs. All of this stuff that uh, I think a lot of people agree is probably the best way for a team to try and ensure success for their organization. Nobody knows what they're doing. So just try, 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 try. Give yourself as many shots as you can possibly have. So over the course of the next four years, they accumulate one of the deepest rosters in football using this strategy. They have star power at the top. They have they've traded for Odell Beckham. Uh, they've drafted Miles Garrett, number one overall. They've drafted Baker Mayfield, number one overall. Uh, that star power, it's complemented by a lot of depth that's come about because of this asset accumulation. You know, most notably, I look at their offensive line and I go, that is an awesome high-level offensive line in the NFL. And right behind it, Running the football is uh, probably the best one-two combination of running backs in football. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Uh, and, and behind this roster building and this accumulation of talent and assets, last season the Browns go 11-5. and five. They go into Pittsburgh. They beat the Steelers on the road for their first playoff victory since 1994. Uh, they come within one possession of beating Kansas City on the road the next round. Granted, Pat Mahomes is injured in that game. There's a lot of stuff that go into that. But you think about the Browns four years earlier, and you say they couldn't beat the Chiefs four-string with that roster. So to be within a possession of Kansas City, albeit with Mahomes injured for the last half of that game, that's still something that is a foundation that you can build upon. That's what has been put in place. Uh, You know, the Browns, the foundation is set. And a lot of people love it, including me. Um, And now the real expectations start to set in which is a very interesting point to examine as an outsider. Everybody agrees they're going about this the right way. They've turned a winless team four years ago into an 11-5 team last year. They look like they are set up to possibly be even better this year. Again, one of the deepest rosters in football. But are we going to love this Browns roster as much in a year or two? Um, Are we going to love Baker as a quarterback as much in a year or two? Are we going to love Odell as a star wideout in a year or two? These are all kind of the things 
that go into perception, team building, and how what at one point seems phenomenal and awesome and a perfect pathway to a championship, it can deteriorate rapidly. So I want to transition sports because there's a team that really illustrates this rise and fall perfectly in the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers. The Trust the Process Sixers. Um, who hired Sam Hinkie as GM in 2013. And they performed the ultimate tear it down to the studs rebuild. He's kind of the person who popularizes this idea of, you know, it's okay to just tank and be bad because you can accumulate a lot of assets. And the easiest way in any league, especially the NBA, to get a star is to continually pick high in the lottery. So that's the process. Tear it down to the studs, lose, 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 lose. Ensure you're picking high in the lottery. Hit on some of those. You have stars. That's the quickest pathway to contention. The easiest way to ensure success in the NBA. That's the idea behind the process. So in consecutive seasons under Hinky, the Sixers, they win 19 games. They win 18 games. They win 10 games, 10 and 72 in his final full season there. Just a, a, a train wreck of a team. They make no bones about losing. They're committed to this idea. Trust the process, right? They draft Joel Embiid in 2014 turns out to be a home run, as we know now in present day. The following year, in 2015, they draft Jaleel Okafor in third overall. Just a train wreck of a draft pick. He's out of the league. He's at never at any point been a valuable contributor to an NBA team. And he's picked in the top three. Again, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. So you get as many shots as you can get. And that's the way that a lot of people believe is going to ensure success. You keep trying, you keep trying. You put one foot in front of the other. So Brian Colangelo takes over as GM for Sam Hinkie. And he's still carrying forward this vision. And the Sixers are still drafting high in the lottery. So they pick Ben Simmons, number one overall. They trade up and select Markel Fultz over Jason Tatum, one of the great what-if moves in recent NBA history. They trade up to draft Markel Fultz over Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, who is now... Looks like he's going to be one of the best NBA players sooner rather than later. Later, And Markel Fultz, who has just been plagued by injuries and the shooting yips and all sorts of, of stuff on the mental side when it comes to basketball. And looks like he's just going to be, at best, a spot player for somebody at some point. That's a total catastrophe when you're trying to build a winning franchise. So now, uh, this has been the focal point of a lot of debate um, when we look at the Sixers in present day. Was the process sound and the execution kind of flawed? You know, you whiff on Jalil Okafor, you whiff on Markel Fultz, you trade up to draft him over Jason Tatum. If the Sixers had Jason Tatum right now, I think we would feel a lot differently about them as an organization. So is the process sound and the execution flawed? Or is just that process flawed in general? You know, can you build a firm foundation in the midst of all that losing? When it comes to culture, again, buzzword in business, also something that is integral within sports. When you're trying to lay a cultural foundation and say, we want to really train people's minds and habits in order to win. And how can you do that when your GM and your organization is saying, no, 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 we want to lose for however many years because we're trying to accumulate assets. Two things kind of at war with one another. And there's a lot of differing opinions on this process with a capital P. 
Um, is it the right way of going about things? On the asset side, yes. But is it hard to stay afloat from a cultural perspective if you're always trying to lose? Again, that also seems like it might be a yes. But there's a lot of gray areas within this kind of process, whether that's for the Browns, whether that's for the Sixers. And the Sixers are past the point of where Cleveland is at now in the NFL. Again, Cleveland is the bright, shiny new thing. And they look like they're on the upward arc. But we could feel very differently in two years. We don't know. Uh, and a few years ago, Philly, they're the bright, shiny thing. They got Embiid. They got Simmons. They got Fultz. They're filled with hope and optimism. And now it's kind of this disappointment. They have the one kind of always incredible injured star uh, in Joel Embiid. MVP caliber when he's on the court. Can he really stay on the court? He hasn't proven that at any point in his career. Um, Fultz is gone. He's just not there. He, he, he got traded for pennies on the dollar. And they have one debatable star in Ben Simmons, number one overall pick, who we've really found out over the last few years, maybe that dude can't really exist within a playoff series in a way that you need him to if he is one of your stars. I mean, this, this process and these tracing it through the years, it's just kind of the embodiment of life comes at you fast. Um, and, and it ties into just this whole idea behind today's show that nobody knows anything, you know? That's part of why I'm always harping on the role of chance and luck in winning a championship. That's why I always am talking about that. Uh, every team, it's kind of this collection of good and bad moves like I've talked about for the Packers or the Saints or the Browns or the Sixers from management and coaching and players. If you have more good than bad, well, you can win a championship with the right breaks. That's part of the championship style journey. You know, it's why I'm so sympathetic towards teams that are continually in the mix, but can't really break through because if you're held back by luck, if it's not on your side, that's a really tough pill to swallow. And you sit there going, oh man, what could have been? Again, another thing that I love talking about with on this, within this show. But, you know, much like the draft process and the way that you flush out a roster, because nobody really knows anything, and when you acknowledge that, it kind of becomes a strength. It becomes a numbers game. It becomes the basis of today's show. You give yourselves as many cracks as possible, and then you hope that just one time you break through. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This show is produced by Weston Tanner and can be consumed in a variety of ways. You can download it as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the platform of your choice. You can also view it in video form via the Beehive TV app, which can be downloaded on Apple, Google, Roku, and Amazon Fire. For more information, go to noballer.com.